Mary, in that moment, accepted a responsibility like no woman has ever accepted before. Joseph, in that moment, accepted a responsibility like no one has ever accepted before. It may be that this accepting of responsibility, one of the first families that went wrong, Cain and Abel, the question was asked, am I my brother's keeper? The answer really is yes. And as mothers, as fathers, husbands and wives, sons and daughters, aunts and uncles, cousins, second cousins twice removed, something about the Christmas story that says if you're going to receive his gift it also means you accept responsibility for all of those family members of yours welcome to living love the radio broadcast ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Benton Illinois our desire is to live love to God to others and the nations We hope this week's broadcast will bless and encourage you. Now, let's dive into God's Word and see how we can live love today. Well, I want to encourage you to come back tonight. Uh, Some of the best music from this month of worship is going to be featured, and this is going to be a very special evening. So I encourage you to come back tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, then uh, on Sunday Eve or on Christmas Eve, I want to encourage you to come. I, I think this will be a special service. Uh, we'll do all the normal candlelighting kinds of things. Uh, Forty years ago, Karen and I were very privileged. This year, 1981, I graduated from seminary, and uh, a endowment was allowed to allow a pastor and his wife to go to Israel. A new seminary student, just one of those phenomenal things, and. Uh, Went with an archaeology professor, brought back some interesting things, brought back a 2,000-year-old lamp. And so we're going to use that on Christmas Eve to talk about light um, 2,000 years ago, and the light is still burning. One of the other things we did is uh, 40 years ago, we went to Bethlehem. And if you go to Bethlehem, you buy a nativity set. So we had it here last Sunday night, had it all out here. Uh, so I brought back some of it. Um, just kind of set up here. Of course, that's Mary and uh, Joseph, and this is olive wood. That's kind of the big deal, what you get in. And uh, this is baby Jesus. Now, I did read some week this, this week that a mother kept saying every time she walked by the nativity set, baby Jesus was turned upside down. And it turned out one of her kids was doing it. Well, he wasn't born until December Eve, Christmas Eve, and so they kept turning it over. We'll put him upright today. Um, But one of the interesting things about that is that really is kind of the heart of Christmas. It's Mary and Joseph and a baby, a family. And today, I really want us to think about this idea of family and the context of Christmas. And the Christmas story where we are the most familiar with it is from Luke, the second chapter. It's just a simple story, but it reads this way. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house 
and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary as betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, that's a familiar story. Sometimes we, uh, we use a phrase, God works in mysterious ways. Then normally we quote Isaiah 55, his ways are not our ways, his ways are greater than our ways. But I got to tell you, when we begin to think about how God chose to send his son into the world, I, I don't know that I would have done it that way. I mean, frankly, in my mind, I would have just sort of had Jesus materialize like something out of Star Trek on the temple steps, right? In Passover, just show up and begin his ministry. Or I mean, walk out of the desert and just arrive, but that's not the way God chose to do it. Do you understand the bizarreness that we have a God who, when he got ready to send salvation into the world, did it in the context of a family? There's some theology, I think, for Jesus coming as an infant. We are all sinners, and we are sinners by birth, and, and the idea that sin has entered the world through a family that salvation needed to come in the form of a child born without sin who could live and die without sin and therefore save us from our sin. And I understand that. But this idea of God using families, that's just kind of the way God has chosen to do it. And, and His ways are always best and His ways are always right. But when He created the world, He did it in the sense of a family. Adam and Eve, and even though they were in the garden and before they are sinned and sent out, God evidently created them with the ability to be a family, to have children. When the world had gotten to a point of sin and, and so serious that God was going to destroy all of them, He saved mankind through a family, Noah and his wife and his children. When He got ready to do the plan of salvation, He, he spoke to a man, Abraham, and a woman, Sarah, and gave them a child, Isaac. And he had a child, Jacob. And, and the family of God, the family of Israel, the children of Israel, God has been using families. And I've read a time or two uh, about a woman uh, who had a serious disease, who knew she was going to die and she had children and began a search for a family that she could entrust her children to. That was fascinating to me. But you understand, in the Christmas story, it's as if God is getting ready to send His Son, and He's going to do it in this unique way. Send Him not as a grown man, but as an infant to be born into the world, to have to be raised. But God, I believe, went out of His way to be absolutely certain that the family that was going to be entrusted with his son would be a very special kind of family. And interestingly enough, in the Christmas story, there's a lot about family. You really can't get away from it. And, and you begin certainly that when God began to send his son into the world, he looked down into the world. And in that moment in time and in that moment in history, he very did indeed select a very special woman problem is sometimes as Baptists, we're kind of afraid of Mary. I mean, there are some other churches that do stuff with Mary that we're kind of uncomfortable with. They, they kind of talk about the immaculate conception, and in some churches, that's not Jesus, that's Mary, and the teaching that Mary was, 
without sin as well. And, and by the way, if you really want to pray, you pray to Mary because she will tell Jesus what to do and he always has to do what his mom says. And because we're kind of afraid of those doctrines that we don't really believe to be true, sometimes we don't really give her the acknowledgement. But it's when God began to look for a woman, he chose a very special woman. He looked at the hearts, and there was a heart in this young woman that touched God's heart, and he found favor with her. There's phenomenal things about her. Her heart was so significant. And and I think before Gabriel ever showed up to talk to Mary and, and say to her, you're going to be the one that's going to bear my son. You're going to be the mother that's going to be a part of this family that my Savior is going to be raised in. I think he already knew that she was going to say yes. He already knew her heart. He already knew that she was in all humility going to say, I'm the handmaiden of the Lord. But I would suggest to you, not only is she this obedient and this humble and this pure individual, I kind of think in Mary there's a little bit of courage that maybe we don't always see. You realize that Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, shows up and she immediately questions him. Wait a minute, I'm not going to have a kid. I... You know, there's a lot of courage in order to stand up to an angel. I've not spoken to too many, but I think if Gabriel showed up, most of us are going to be kind of speechless, but she's willing to stand up and And I'm not so sure that when God looked at her, he saw in her a kind of strength. Because she was not just going to bear the baby and raise the baby. She was going to be the mother of the Savior. And you remember about seven days later, Mary, after the birth, is going to go and and Simeon is going to speak to her specifically. And he's going to talk about Jesus and what he's going to do, but he makes the significant moment that he says to Mary, and your heart will be pierced as with a sword. It's almost as if God looked down and he knew that the child that he was going to send into the world to save the world needed a very special mother, a mother of courage, a mother of strength, a mother who could deal with heartache, a mother who could ponder things in her heart, a mother who could be exactly the mother that was necessary for that family. But you understand, when it comes to family, God is always looking for mothers like that, isn't he? Doesn't he always want mothers who are obedient? Doesn't he always want mothers who love the Lord and are willing to obey God and do whatever he asks and are willing to to work with their children and raise them and and be there and experience the days of joy and the days of heartache? and, And God is looking for families that have those kinds of mothers. Always has. Father. Joseph's kind of a unique thing. We just, there's so much stuff we don't know about Joseph. Obviously, 30 years after the birth, he's not in the picture anymore. He's not there when Jesus begins his public ministry. And some of the people have thought, well, maybe he was quite a bit older. And it wasn't unusual for a, an older man to take a younger woman. That, that was kind of a possibility. We don't really know for sure, but, but understand that if from God's perspective, you're going to send your son into the world You not only want a godly mother, but you want a father who's going to raise him and raise him well. And and there's a few things we know about Joseph. We don't know a lot, but, but one thing we know specifically is that he was a just man. I've often wondered a little bit about what God, God was kind of in the matchmaking business, you wonder. 
that Joseph had seen Mary and, and something stirred in his heart that he was evidently drawn to this woman and, and she was drawn to him. And we don't know how the engagement process worked or all it worked out, but, but we know that suddenly he's drawn to her and, and then she's found to be with child. And the Bible says he was a just man. Men need to be just. There's something about being righteous, about a set of values that some things are right and some things are wrong. And, and obviously, a father needs to be able to teach his children what is right and wrong. But one of the unique things I think we see about Joseph is not only was he just, he was merciful. And that even when Mary was found to be with child and they were only engaged and he knew he wasn't the father, he not only was prepared to put her away, but he was also merciful. And that he chose not to publicly shame her, not to publicly embarrass her. And, and by the way, when I just look at men in general, some of us do really well with the just, right, wrong, we're good about that, but some of us don't do the merciful part as well. But maybe the greatest thing about Joseph we know is that he just obeyed God. That in spite of everything, in spite of what anybody else might have thought in the way that people talk in a small town, yeah, you know about Joseph, you know about Mary, you've heard that story when God spoke to him in a dream and said, don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. He got up and immediately took her to be his wife. And later on, when, when they're down in Bethlehem and the, the story of Herod and that all plays out and the Magi have come, he has another dream. And, and basically God says to him, I know you got this thriving practice that's going on in Nazareth and I know you've got a business up there and tools and all those kinds of things and I know your family's up there, but, but instead of going back home, you don't have time. You need immediately to get up and take Mary and the baby and you need to go to Egypt. And he obeyed. It's almost as if God, in this holy family that is going to be the, the means of salvation, the way that God is going to save the world, and this family, the context of a family, and he chooses a very special mother and a, a very special father, but I would suggest to you that God uses families all the time, and he always is looking for obedient and godly fathers and obedient and godly mothers. And the Christmas story ought to challenge us to that end. And it's not just Mary and Joseph. The Christmas story goes on to talk about other family, extended family. It both Matthew and Luke give us genealogies. And, and if you thought about it, there's grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents and, and going all the way back. And part of the genealogy just tells us that Mary and Joseph had parents and there was extended family. Uncle Zacharias, Aunt Elizabeth. I kind of wonder how Mary would have survived if it had not been for the support of Aunt Elizabeth, who she goes and spends time with. I, I wonder if she could have been prepared for what she was expecting, but God provided some extended family. And that weird cousin, by the way, every family has a weird cousin. You do know that. And by the way, if you're the cousin and you dress in camel hair and you eat grasshoppers, you are the weird cousin. You understand that. But Jesus got a weird cousin by the name of John. And, and by the way, you know, this thing about family, a lot of you have family coming in and you're immediately, the, yep, that's the weird one in our family. Uh, by the way, if you can't do that, then you are the weird one in your family. You understand that. 
but extended family. And, and that's one of the things about this season. And it kind of mystifies me that, that we've all got extended family. And, and obviously, if you are a part of a family, then God really wants to use you to be a blessing. I, I just think there's something significant that, that Mary and Joseph are, are having this tremendous task of raising a child, but they're not doing it alone. The Bible makes sure that we know they got grandparents, and we don't know whether they're alive. We don't know anything about that sort of story. We just know that they're mentioned, and yes, there's extended family. We know there. And, and then it's interesting to me that, that when God chooses to send His Son into the world, He sends Him into a world where He has to grow up in a family. And we know a lot about it. Matthew chapter 13 is, is the little bitty, they're just this one little phrase that tells us about Jesus' brothers and sisters. And it's kind of in a negative context. They, people are questioning Jesus and they're saying, is he not the son of the carpenter Joseph? And, and aren't his brothers, and, and the four brothers' names are mentioned, and he has a brother James and a brother Joseph and a brother Simon and a brother Judas. That's Matthew chapter 13, I think about verse 55. And then there's a little phrase that says, and are not all his sisters with us? And it's kind of a little interesting thing to think about. All his sisters assumes that it's more than one sister. And it doesn't say both his sisters. So we assume he had at least three sisters. And I don't know if you ever really thought about it, but Jesus growing up in Nazareth with his mother and with his father and at least seven brothers and sisters. And can you imagine, I've, I've just, I've always felt sorry for them. Can you imagine growing up being Jesus' younger brother or sister? I mean, everybody, every kindergarten teacher, why can't you be like Jesus was? Why can't you be like him? Why don't you do, I mean, just can, to be compared to him all the time, what a terrible thing. I, I have an older brother who's just nigh on to perfect. And, you know, I, I was kind of, he was the, the, uh, the, the, uh, Wally Cleaver and I was the beaver in our family. I, you know, it just... Oh yeah, I can't be like him. But interestingly enough, there's something about Jesus grew up with brothers and sisters and, and, and some of it was good. And, and certainly we know that one of his brothers, James, that he appears to James, his oldest brother, the, the brother just below him, and, and appears to him after the resurrection, and James ends up becoming the head of the early church. Isn't this fascinating that there's this context of family, and, and that was God's plan, that was God's purpose, that God chose to give the greatest blessing in the entire world that would ever be given, and he wrapped it up in a family. And God is still in the business of wanting to bless people through their families. There is one really good thing in that God chooses to do it in somewhat imperfect families. And it always fascinates me that, that the only story we really have about Mary and Joseph and their parenting skills probably should have brought the Bethlehem DCFS down because they've abandoned their child and left him in the city of Jerusalem for three days and talk about leaving him not exactly home alone, but leaving him in, in Jerusalem alone and poor communication and just, I don't know about you, but that just makes me feel better. <laughs> Karen and I, by the way, one time at church, our, one of our children was a baby and they nursery said, we'll just, kill, we'll just leave him here. And we were the last ones. We actually got in the car and started to drive out of the church parking lot and our kid was still in the nursery. <laughs> I mean, I've abused all my kids to pull one of their arms out of socket, nurse made elbow. They didn't want to go. And I said, no, we're going this way. And 
and uh, let one roll off the top bunk bed. That's, that was, I, I was a Sunday morning. All of that stuff was pretty much on Sundays. <laughs> but isn't it encouraging that, that maybe the most significant and important family in all the world wasn't perfect all the time? And even Jesus' brothers and sisters, the only real thing we know about his brothers is at least twice they seemed to come up and they were trying to get him because they thought he was crazy and he was embarrassing the family and they wanted to bring him back home. But God still chose to bless the family. I, I just think there's something in the Christmas story that of God's great gift of salvation, he wraps it up in the context of a family, and he wants to do that, and I think he's continued to want to do that. In fact, almost every good thing that God has done has been done in the context of families, and, and I think there's something significant that when we move beyond the, the biological family that God has called the church, the household of faith, the family of God. That God wants to do that. And, and I think there's something very significant when the good news that was shared with angels and the Magi and all of the world, the, the good news, the good news that there is a Savior in the world, that it came within the context of a family, I think God's continued plan is that the very best place to share the gospel is in your family. Now, again, the gospel can be preached any place, and, and many of you have been blessed to have heard the gospel from a coworker or from a, a neighbor or from a friend or someone who maybe was outside. But just out of curiosity, how many of you, if you were going to give a testimony, would say some of the greatest influence on your coming to Jesus Christ and being saved came from a family member? Just kind of raise your hand. You understand, that's, that's a big deal. That's probably the way it is. And I, I love the idea of dedicating a child just to say, we're going to raise this child in a godly home, a Christian home, because that's kind of God's plan and that's God's purpose, that God wants to bless families and he wants to bless my family through me. I know that Ryan Mulvaney has a little thing about praying this year in particular that children who come to know Christ in our church will be able to be led to Christ by their parents. Isn't that a neat thing? For a child to grow up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, to, to grow in wisdom and stature, Luke 2.52, just like Jesus did, to grow up in a Christian home, a godly home, with a godly mother and a godly father in the body of Christ, in the household of faith, and come to the story of the gospel, and eventually, through the influence of their parents, come to know Jesus Christ and find the meaning of Christmas in their own home. Now, if that doesn't work, then there's lots of other ways for the good news to be shared, and, and we certainly want to understand. But today, I just want to suggest to you that there's something about the Christmas story that I think ought to demand of us the imagining of where am I in my family? And can I be a, a godly mother if God lets me be a mother? Can I be a godly father? Can I be someone who tries to obey God? Can I be a man who somehow mixes this idea of, of justice and mercy and obedience to God? Can I be a woman of courage and strength, even in those difficult times? Can I be the, the aunt or the uncle or the crazy cousin? Who, By the way, that crazy cousin, when he was finally martyred, Jesus said there was no greater man born of woman than John. 
Can I be the godly influence in my extended family? And, and we've talked with countless individuals, and Karen and I have family members who do not know Christ. And we get around them at different times and have the opportunity to communicate them. And holidays are probably the times we're around them the most. And it's difficult, it's complicated to be able to share faith with family members. And yet, this idea of being extended family, being godly family, having brothers and sisters and family members, there's this sense that this family ought to challenge all of us in our own families with the idea of, does the good news rest in their hearts? And there are some families. I, I've heard people give testimonies. Every, all of our children know Christ. All of our grandchildren know Christ. And, and you do know that that's not the way it is for most of us. Almost all of us have loved ones, family members, who have yet to really understand this story. But Christmas is family. It's the way God chose to do it. It's not the way I would have done it. Because frankly, families are just kind of messy. Most of them are pretty dysfunctional at times. Some of them are all imperfect, and we all struggle because all families are made up of sinners, and yet there's a Savior who came to save hearts, who came to bless families, who came to use families. And so I don't know what your family traditions are when you get together. Uh, I don't know, Karen's family, her dad, you had to have oyster dressing, and it wasn't Christmas if you didn't have oyster dressing. It didn't even smell good, much less taste good. And their families get together, and every family's a little weird, and every family's got their own stuff, and you get together, and this is the way we do presents, or this is the way, and there's who draw names, and those who buy for everybody, and those who don't buy for anybody. I mean, every family is a little bit different, and, and whatever your family does in the next week, you know, it's okay. Some of you won't even be able to be with family, and you know, get on the phone, do a little Zoom. Yesterday, Karen and I were on a Google Duo call with my brother and his family, and they passed us all around and, you know, got looked at everybody. And whatever your family looks like, understand God wants to bless your family. And the greatest blessing was sent into a family 2,000 years ago. But the hand of God is still on families. I think God wants to bless families. I think God will bless families, and God wants to use families to bless each other. And so this year for Christmas, remember this family. Get your, get your nativity set out. Read the Christmas story, Luke 2. Think about that family and, and understand that God went to great lengths to get this family to put together. I mean, all kinds of things to make this family happen, but this family was there for my family and your family and everyone in our families who yet know that story. And so this Christmas, spend some time praying for God to bless your family. And of course, the invitation is for you and I to be the conduit for that blessing. God blessed the world through this mother and this father and this child, and he wants to bless your family through you. But that begins by you making sure you know Jesus Christ first and foremost. Mary, in that moment, accepted a responsibility like no woman has ever accepted before. Joseph, in that moment, accepted a responsibility 
like no one has ever accepted before. It may be that this accepting of responsibility, one of the first families that went wrong, Cain and Abel, the question was asked, am I my brother's keeper? The answer really is yes. And as mothers, as fathers, husbands and wives, sons and daughters, aunts and uncles, cousins, second cousins twice removed, there's something about the Christmas story that says, if you're going to receive His gift, it also means you accept responsibility for all of those family members of yours to make sure that the gospel is in those families and in those hearts as well. Father, we thank you for a holy family. And we pray by your grace that each of our families represented today might have that same sense of your presence because of knowing the Savior who came and was born, who lived and died and rose again. And Father, we pray that you will bless us as we're able to gather, or if we're not able to gather as we communicate in the texts and the emails and the phone calls and the, the Zoom calls, that Lord, as we try to do family this week, whatever families may look like, and there's so many different ways they look, but that Father, there will be a sense of you blessing families through each of us and those families acknowledging the one great gift that every family can receive in Jesus Christ. Bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of Living Love. If this message has impacted you in any way, please let us know. If you would like to contact us, find out more about our church, or if you'd like to support our mission, visit ibcbenton.com. Dot com. That's I-B-C-B-E-N-T-O-N.com. Or give us a call at 618-439-3513.